Hello, and welcome to the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement's podcast, Wonks at Work. I'm Craig Wilson, your host, a self-declared wonk, dad of two boys, native Arkansan, and I've been the health policy director at the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement for more than a decade. On this show, we aim to demystify, boil down, and unwonk, if you will, complex topics so that you can understand how the healthcare system is working or not working for you. Today, we're going to talk about a potential facelift for some of our Arkansas hospitals. Now, Arkansas has been very fortunate since 2010 to have only two hospital closures, one in West Memphis due to a fire and one in DeQueen due to some management and fraudulent billing issues. And both have since, luckily, reopened. Now, our neighboring states have seen more than 60 hospital closures over the same period, severely limiting access to acute care. Our hospitals are not out of the woods, though, when it comes to their financial situation, as inflationary pressures continue to mount coming out of the pandemic, outpacing their revenue. In late 2020, Congress created a new hospital designation called a Rural Emergency Hospital, which for some smaller hospitals with lower inpatient volume might make financial sense and certainly is attractive versus closure. There's a catch for hospitals that want to become a rural emergency hospital. They have to give up certain things. Rural emergency hospitals will still provide emergency and observation care, but if you need to be admitted for inpatient care, you're going to have to go elsewhere because rural emergency hospitals do not and cannot provide inpatient care. Rural emergency hospitals are also not eligible to participate in the 340B program, which is a drug discount program that for some hospitals also generates substantial revenue. I won't go into detail, but there is also a specific payment method for rural emergency hospitals that includes a monthly facility payment of roughly $272,000 to help smooth the transition and offer some stability in the initial years. Although the option has been available since January of this year through Medicare federally, states still had to establish the designation in order for private insurers and the state Medicaid program to be able to pay rural emergency hospitals, something Arkansas lawmakers did earlier this year during their legislative session. And now we have at least one hospital already making the move to become a rural emergency hospital. So, Here with us today to talk about their transition process is the hospital administrator for St. Bernard's Five Rivers Medical Center in Pocahontas, Randy Berryman, who has been in that role since the end of 2021, right in the middle of the pandemic, right? (laughs) Randy's been with the St. Bernard system for 25 years. He's an Arkansas State graduate where he earned his bachelor's and master's degrees. And he's also obtained a national certification for nurse executives from the American Nurses Credentialing Center. Welcome, Randy, and thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me, Craig. I look forward to uh, discussing the the opportunities of rural health care with you today. Yeah. yeah, glad to have somebody from Pocahontas on the show, too. <laughs> That's right. All right, so uh, before we get into the more serious stuff, I want to know what keeps you busy when you're not working. 
So, um, you know, on the weekends, mostly hanging out with friends and family. We like to do a lot of outdoor things. Um, I have uh, an 11-year-old boy that loves to float Spring River and fish oh, yeah. and things of that nature. And um, kind of after after the work, uh, work day winds down, um, do a little bit of woodworking, making um, like cutting boards, charcuterie boards, things of that nature to either give us gifts or sell us gifts or whatnot nice charcuterie board that's something i can really get into you know uh my kids can't say they're they're uh six and ten almost six and ten six and almost ten and they can't say charcuterie so um we we just say hey you want a smorgasbord tonight for dinner right that's right <laughs> so they, get the, they get the cheese and the you know the little salami meats and the all the all the fruit and the, the stuff so makes that's a lot awesome. of fun all about the uh, fancy cheese, right? Yeah, the fancy cheese. Yeah. Uh, so I asked this of all of our wonky guests. What would you say is your theme song? Hardest question. The hardest question of the day, I think. Um, so for me, and I don't know if it's necessarily a theme song, but something that resonates with me, and I don't even know if you've heard of the band um, Blackberry Smoke. Um, they have a song um, called One Horse Town that kind of resonates with me. And I don't know if it's because, you know, I grew up in a small town, but um, kind of the meaning behind it, you know, it's, um, you know, there's, there's always somebody out there trying to tell you, you know, maybe that you're not good enough or maybe you shouldn't leave, you know, your small town to pursue bigger dreams. So, um, and not necessarily, you know, that my family did that, but, you know, there's always the naysayer. So for me, it was, um, you know, it kind of resonates with me that you should get out there and, and really kind of, Put yourself out there to try to do bigger and better things, even if yep. it is a little uncomfortable. It's so. it's like the uh, uh, Dale Bumper's book, best lawyer in a one lawyer town, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> Something like that. All right. Uh, so let's get into this. What what are the numbers on Five Rivers Medical Center? Because people might not know what what the hospital kind of looks like from a staffing standpoint, or how long it's been in operation, things like that. Sure. So. Um... So the hospital started in 1950, and uh, the original name was Randolph County Memorial Hospital. It was a 32-bed facility and um, quickly outgrew um, that facility. And in the, um, I believe it was 1980, they opened a new facility and then expanded to a 50-bed facility. Uh, of course, you know, back then they um, delivered babies and had uh, three um, operating room that had three surgical suites. So they were doing some surgeries wow. here. Um, and, um, now, um, since, uh, 2019, St. Bernard's has, uh, has leased a facility, um, you know, through the, the pandemic and whatnot, it's mm -hmm. been a little turbulent, but, um, uh, as we stand right now and, um, you know, we, we did transition to REH on September 1 of this year. So we have 135 full-time employees, um, inpatient volume, um, it's pretty, um, you know, pre-transition is pretty low, about a 1.5 average daily census. 
Wow. And um, but we did have odds. We had um, about four to five odds was kind of our our average daily census. But our ED was booming. We have um, this year about a ten percent increase in inpatient or uh, ED patients. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, to about 8,500 um, annually, it looks like we'll hit this year, which will be our biggest year. Wow. What, what, what do you attribute that increase in emergency room visits to? You know, um, we really haven't put our finger on it, but we do think that, um, you know, there was a, a facility in Donovan, a hospital in Donovan okay. that has shut down um, in the, the last few years. So we think... Um, Due to that, we've seen seen an increase. Okay, um, and then you know, aging population here in Pocahontas, uh, and Pocahontas is growing. There's a yeah. lot more, lot more folks uh, living in Pocahontas. Uh, some new industry here over the last few years that brought in some new folks. So certainly, the Spring River is attractive. I know that I've been on yeah, that yeah, a you know, and it's <laughs> five rivers because there's five rivers through yeah. Pocahontas. Right, so. right. Um, so before we talk about the the new hospital designation. What was it like taking helm at Five Rivers in the middle of a pandemic? So definitely a little challenging. Um, For me, um, I was kind of elbow deep in it already, so to speak. So I was working at the medical center in Jonesboro as a nursing director and managed um, through that time. I think I managed about a hundred and twenty so employees in the nursing department. the nursing realm. I think I had three nursing floors at the time. And one of the largest nursing units I was over was a COVID unit. So I had seen kind of the nursing struggles through COVID and the hospital struggle, but but not necessarily all the financial strains and struggles. And, uh, you know, I hadn't dealt with, I was dealing with contract labor on the nursing side. I just wanted all I could get, you know, we just needed help. Yeah. So I didn't care. I didn't care what it cost at the time, but then transitioning here, it's like, Hey, I've got to, got to kind of work through that. You know, it's, that's not sustainable. And, you know, we really have to pull some different levers to make, um, to make things work. So I was pretty comfortable on the nursing side and my background also in, in radiology helped, but, um, you know, managing departments that I knew very little about or their process <laughs> flow and things was, um, I got tested a little bit. Yeah. And of course that was all during, during COVID had to make some difficult decisions as far as how do you, you know, care for patients? How do you, sure. um, you know, navigate, um, visitors and, you know, mm-hmm. we all remember, all remember yeah. that, uh, all too well, but, uh, definitely challenging, but you know, that was, that was what I was looking forward to. I was getting pretty comfortable in my my role in the nursing world and was looking for some new challenges. So so yeah. I was ready somewhat. I thought I was ready, but I really jumped um, you know, head first into the just into thrust the you in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about the the nursing cost pressures, which have subsided somewhat, but not not to the extent you probably need them to. But what are all the pressures the hospitals are facing that are putting them at risk of closure and needing to transition to these types of designations? Sure, I think it's multifaceted, um, but but really the the short answer is the cost of care has gone up, um, costs uh, more now to take care of a patient than it did just a few years ago. Um, from from all aspects to you know your payroll to your supplies, your mm-hmm. third-party contracts, um, and uh, the the reimbursement really hasn't followed. And I think in a lot of cases, it's actually gone down um, due to some um, 
challenges with insurance and mm-hmm. um, getting paid uh, through some of the the insurance companies. So yeah. that's that's the biggest thing in my opinion. That's kind of the short answer, but the the, sure. the kind of the thing that I I think about is the the corner restaurant, you know, that can respond to increasing costs by just raising menu prices, right? Right. Um, and you hope to keep the, the restaurant open, but but hospitals can't do that because they rely on third parties for, for payment negotiations. So. Right, right. So. And I do think past that, um, you know, rural facilities, you know, one time you had a, a doctor that could take care of that, that whole person, and now there are specialists, you know, right. that you're dependent on. So a lot of rural facilities can't. Um, can't hire specialists to be in the facility to consult with. Yeah. So, um, you know, your patients look for that. They have a specialist already, a lot of comorbidities, obviously. So, you know, they they want to go where their cardiologist is or they want to go where their um, pulmonologist um, yeah. are located. So it, it's a real struggle keeping um, patients in a rural facility because you don't have um, – you don't have all the resources and, and all the, the physicians to care for them as you do in a yeah. more urban setting. So when, when you decided to go ahead and, and make the transition, I'm sure with your, you know, with the leadership at St. Bernard's and with the community and, and everything else, what are the kind of the main things you had to think about when making that transition? So for us, um, you know, we, we looked at, multiple, multiple things. You know, you can't just look at your finances. You certainly have to look at the impact on your community. Um, so we had some discussions with uh, key stakeholders as far as kind of the outlook on healthcare um, in Arkansas and nationally, and um, just kind of talked through, you know, pulled some data together, talked through the fact that only about 5% of our uh, patient volume is inpatient. Um, our current length of stay, um, when you use the methodology per REH, um, our current length of stay is less than 10 hours currently. Mm-hmm. So um, when you really start to kind of deep dive into that and look at what is important to the community, which overwhelmingly has been the ER, you know, the emergency room is is most important to the community, yeah. obviously, most important to industry. Um, so once we really started breaking that down and having some serious conversations about, you know, the trade-off, obviously we can't do, uh, keep inpatient anymore. Um, but really, really what we need to care for the community is our emergency room because we are, there's a little distance between us and other, um, other facilities. So, you know, kind of once we analyzed that and broke it down at, um, it, not to say that the decision was easy because it's never easy making changes, um, and certainly we don't want to make light of not having an patient, but overwhelmingly everybody said we want to keep the ER open and really want to make sure that we have those essential services here in the community. Yeah. So, so really, but and clearly the reception of the community, I think has been fine is what you're saying. What about the finances themselves? Did it work out to a net positive for you, at least from the uh, estimates? So, um, you know, with our partnership with St. Bernard's and the Medical Center in Jonesboro, um, it will work out um, in our favor. Yeah. Um, you know, it's 
it's still it's still going to be a struggle for us. Sure. We're still going to have to watch our finances, um, and um, we'll have to be good stewards of that um, additional funding. And and certainly, um, you know, it's not. It didn't really open up the the checkbook to go buy right. you know any new fancy toys or whatnot, but um, but it will certainly make our emergency room sustainable, and um, we'll we'll make sure that those you know like I said those essential services are are ready yeah. and available to the community. What about any outpatient services that you guys plan on adding or considering? Yeah, so um, we will certainly evaluate that. Right now, we are doing a non-opioid pain management program, so we'd really like to look to invest into that. That's mm-hmm. We started that about a year ago and has been um, a well-needed service uh, yeah. in the community. Um, so we'll look to hopefully expand on that. Um, you know, we have some aging equipment that we need to evaluate. Um, you know, MRI comes to mind uh, right away. So uh, some aging equipment for sure, some lab equipment. But, um, but yeah, those those are kind of the big things for us. Okay. What, um, what advice would you give to other administrators considering transitioning to a rural emergency hospital? Yeah. So, you know, I think every administrator should always look at ways to improve their facility, obviously, and um, to make sure they're providing the services um, that the community needs. Um, So, you know, everybody's situation is going to be a little bit different, um, whether they're critical access or for us, we were not critical access. So, um, you know, that that all all plays into it. Your Mm -hmm. Probably your your partnerships with other facilities, if you have strong partnerships with those other facilities, you know, all those things have got to be considered. But um, but um, I certainly I don't know that, it you know, it's it's a plan for everybody. Um, you do have to make some some tough decisions along the way. But um, I think for us, it uh, it was an appropriate model um, due to some of those strong partnerships and and whatnot. Yeah, I know that some of those examinations from other hospitals are underway, so they've got to look at their own books and their own communities and figure it out for themselves. Yeah, yeah, I've been getting some phone calls from some of those guys. Uh, <laughs> just curious, really, more so about the transition. You know, what does that look like? And the process. It's not the process isn't real um, straightforward, but uh, you know, the state was excellent to work with. You know, we obviously we were the first and uh, first time they had gone through it, too. So, yeah, we we learned together, um, but they were awesome to work with. And um, I, I bugged them with a lot of questions, but they never they never seemed bothered by them. So, good, good, so good. The process was pretty, pretty easy. So a question for you that um, hopefully can provide some guidance to some others who might be seeking kind of a similar path that you are in your, in your career, what's your elevator pitch to students considering hospital administration as a career? Um, so I would say, and for me, I was, it was a little different because I kind of grew through the clinical ranks. You know, I started in healthcare as a, back when you would hang actual x-rays, you know, now it's all digital. So I would hang x-rays and I was a transporter for the radiology department at St. Bernard's and while I was in x-ray school. So um, I started from the the ground floor, so to speak. So I would, I guess my elevator speech is to, um, you know, not give up. Um, I 
I always treated every project or every job that I had along the way as a job interview for the next job I wanted. Yeah. So I uh, tried to complete even the most mundane task with with um, all the excitement that I could muster at the time and <laughs> um, make sure that um, I was giving it 110%. But um, I think that's my biggest my biggest thing is treat yeah. every every job or every step along the way as a potential job interview. You don't know who's watching for one and uh, who's who's kind of looking at the the outcome of that that project you just completed. So. Well, thanks for that advice. And I know that uh, I know that making a, a transition like this can seem um, like it's just a, a minor thing from the outside. But I know that from an administrator standpoint and for a community, it, it, it can be a huge transition. Um, wow. So um, one, I, I wish you luck in the transition and and uh, hope that you meet all the challenges uh, with all the, the resources and advice and expertise that you need because, um, you know, the alternative for a lot of these hospitals is, is in fact closure. Um, and loss of that access point for acute care is just something that um, that we don't want. And exactly. so having this option, I, I know, is really important for a lot of hospitals. Exactly. Um, and, you know, one of the challenges with this, too, and talking with the community is explaining the difference between observation and inpatient. Yeah. So um, we've coined the term extended stay inpatient or short stay observation because that paints a little bit better picture so when you just approach someone and say hey we can't do inpatient anymore right they assume that they just can't spend the night yeah and that's not necessarily the case so really right. trying to break down that annual average of 24 yeah. hours and um, kind of talk through the inpatient versus observation right. very important it's, so for our listeners that's a very technical aspect of this that on average, over the year, the rural emergency hospital can't have a stay stays of an average of 24 hours or more. Um, so, yeah, one person can stay in for 48 hours. Another person might stay in for six hours and that averages out at 24. Exactly. So, yeah, that that extended stay versus short stay distinction is really important. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Randy, and I, I wish you luck on your journey up there in the transition. All right. I appreciate it. Great talking with you. Thank you for listening to Walks at Work. You can listen to our bi-weekly podcast on our website, achi.net. A special thanks to the Bobby L. Roberts Library of Arkansas History and Art, which is a part of the Central Arkansas Library System for allowing us to use their studio to record. If you have any topics you would like for us to consider, please email us at achi at achi.net. As a reminder, the views, information, and opinions expressed by our podcast guests are solely those of the guests and do not necessarily represent those of the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement. The primary purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. The podcast does not constitute medical, legal, or other professional advice or services. We hope you've enjoyed our latest episode, and again, thanks for listening.